Greetings, my name's Adam Draycott. You're watching the online ministry of St Augustine's Anglican Church here in Inverell. Uh, this has been prepared for the 5th of December 2021, the second Sunday in Advent. Our sentence of scripture comes from Isaiah 52, verse 2. And as I read this, just remember as it's read out that as Christians... We are recipients of God's grace and mercy, that we've been set free from sin's captivity. Let me read it. Shake yourself from the dust, says the Lord. Arise, O captive Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. And of course... In Christ, we know that uh, that He's already He has done this great work for us on the cross. That we can arise, that we can uh, know that we've been set free from the captivity of sin. That we're God's forgiven people, set free to serve Him now. Let me pray. God of power and mercy, open our hearts in welcome remove the things that hinder us from walking with christ with great joy so that we might share his wisdom and continue to live in him and through him father we thank you that your son lives and reigns with you and the holy spirit as one God now and forever. Amen. Your word is good, it's ever faithful, worth more than gold, the heart's dear. Sustains it still. Your word defends, providing refuge and strength. Your word endures forever. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Your word is a light unto
Uh, before we come to the ministry of God's Word, uh, just a reminder that here at St Augustine's we have Christmas services taking place, our carol service on the 18th of December at 7pm, uh, um, a family Holy Communion service on Christmas Eve at 7pm, and Christmas Day, again that's a family oriented uh, Holy Communion service, Christmas Day at 9am, and then our usual services resume on the 26th of December. Keep a look out for one of these. If you get one of these, get the info, pass it on to someone else so that they can receive a warm welcome and invitation as well. Our Bible readings today come from Isaiah 40, verses 28 to 31, Psalm 75, and Romans. If you've got time, read the whole chapter. That would be fantastic. If you're time poor, I hope you're not, but you might be. Verses 17 to 27 is a good, good part of Scripture to be reading. I commend all of it to you, though. Please take some time to read through God's Word. Read it out loud. Read it quietly to yourself. Have fun with all those Greek names. Uh, all that, yep. And uh, I'll pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for Romans. We thank you that we can be right with you through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to keep trusting you. Help us to keep trusting the work of your Son, that we might glorify you above all else. We ask for your help. We ask for the work of your Spirit now in our hearts, our heads, our, our very souls, growing us and uh, calling us to a life of repentance and faith, uh, that we might show you to the world. Uh, we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've read through chapter 16, um, I hope you survived reading all of those names. Uh, and if you did that, let me say congratulations. I was at Bible study Monday night and Luke Appleby did a cracking job. He absolutely ripped through it. Uh, we come to chapter 16 and we wonder, well, it's a list of names. What on earth is there? How do you preach on that? What, what on earth is there to say? Bunch of names. The answer, of course, is, well, here is the mob, or some of the mob, who've received Paul's letter. And it's an important question. This came up at Bible study a lot this week. People have said, if Paul hasn't been to Rome, how does he know all these people? You're like, great question. And the answer is pretty simple. Uh, back in history, Emperor Claudius, in the year about 49 AD, he gave all the Jews in Rome the big heave-ho. He booted them out of Rome. So if you're a Jew or even a Christian Jew, you're still a Jew, so off you go. And they dispersed to all the surrounding places like Corinth. And it's in Corinth where Paul met a lot of these people and he built relationships with them. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 18. It even says that Claudius booted them out of Rome. Now, if that's what's happened, if that's how Paul actually knows these people, it means that the Roman church at one stage was full of Christian Jews, 
But they suddenly had to leave because they were being booted out. But then years later, as things change and soften, they're allowed to return. And if that's what happens, what happens to the church in Rome over those years when the Jewish Christians are absent? Do you reckon the Gentile Christians somehow start running amok? And now imagine the Jewish Christians have come back and gone, what have you done with the plot? What, what's going on here? And I think this is the actual, this is a situation that Paul writes his letter. It's, the letter speaks into that situation. Jews are gone and now they've come back. They're having trouble accepting one another. Paul says, you've got to be reminded, work it out, keep the gospel uh, first. Keep the main thing the main thing. Now, there's a little bit of background. I hope that helps you unlock more of Romans um, as we keep thinking about Romans. So it's an important question to, to ask. Um, who is it written to? What was the situation? I think that's it. Now, uh, notice a few things as we come to the text. What is the first thing that I want you to see? Straight away, we see that the church in Rome is comprised of individuals. Get a look at the makeup of these people that Paul connects himself to. Verse 1 and 2, we meet Phoebe, a lovely name. She's commended as a sister, a, a, a diakonos, which literally means an effective servant of the church. She is a great help to many. Uh, that, that language of being a diakonos suggests that she's a benefactor. She gives aid to the needy and maybe she has caused to represent the poor and the needy before the authorities. It's thought that she was a wealthy businesswoman and that she used her finances and influence to facilitate gospel work. So she's, she's quite something, this Phoebe. Uh, many people believe that Phoebe was the bearer of the original letter, that she's actually taken it to Rome. And maybe she read it out in the gathering, or one of the many gatherings. And Paul says, hey, Phoebes, give her the assistance she needs in her task. Who else do we meet? Verse 3, we meet a couple, Priscilla and Aquila, described as fellow workers. Verse 4, literally, they risked their necks for me. Uh, again, Acts chapter 18, look it up, it's a good read. And uh, they are also, it's believed, responsible for discipling Apollos, if you know about him. Verse 5, we meet Epinetus, first fruit, first convert of the province of Asia, which implies there's more fruit, more converts to come. Verse 6, we meet another woman called Mary, who worked very hard. Again, Mary is a Jewish name, but you already know that. Verse 7, Adronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, fellow prisoners, uh, Andronicus, apparently his place is really good for coffee. Maybe Andronicus solves the mystery about who wrote Hebrews. I'll keep going. Verses 8 to 10 contain people Paul loves, fellow workers, tested and approved. Uh, again, a that name, Ur Urbanus, Ur Urbanus, 
Don't know if he's any relation to Keith, but I, I should keep going. Verses 10 and 11, households. Uh, verse 12, uh, we meet Tryphena and Tryphosa. Beautiful names, aren't they? They're really cool. They, they sound like pesticide or something. Fertilizer, I don't know. But uh, there it is. There again, maybe twins and women who worked very hard in the Lord. And uh, Persis, another woman who worked very hard for, who worked very hard. Verse 13, Rufus, uh, again, I think it means red. So if you've got someone in your congregation called red, you call him Rufus, see how that goes. Verse uh, 14 to 15, we've got a whole bunch of Greek names. Um, and we don't know a whole lot about any of them, really. Uh, the list continues in verse 21. We know Timothy, Paul's fellow worker. Uh, Tertius, the scribe. So somebody's actually written this for Paul. And that's, that's, that's not unusual. Someone had a job to write. Verse 23, uh, Gaius, who is hospitable. And what about verse 23, Erastus. Erastus, the city's director of public works. Chief member of city council, prominent community member. Now that's a quick scan. What's the first thing Paul shows us about the church? Um, is it the fact that he's not a chauvinist pig? A male chauvinist pig, that is. Look, I have to point you to that because the liberal progressive church wants to paint Paul like uh, a chauvinist pig in order to suit their... Uh, strong feminist agenda. Um, you can't say that from chapter 16. You can't say it from anywhere, really. But chapter 16, we see that Paul highly values the work of women in their roles as fellow workers. And he's reserved some of the highest praise for them, whatever their task involved. They are precious. Deeply valued, colleagues, co-workers, equals, if you like, at that level. Now, that's true, but there's something even more important than that, obs that observation about gender. Do, do you see the picture that Paul is presenting here in chapter 16? It is men and women, couples and twins and single people, Jews and Gentiles, Greeks, non-Greeks, slaves, free, prisoners high-profile business people, new converts, and those that have been Christians before Paul ever was. you got the whole spectrum. you got the fellow workers. you got hard workers. Uh, you got the whole spectrum here. Here is a snapshot of the impact of the gospel in Rome. Here is the power of God, of God displayed in the gospel as all people from all backgrounds are accepted by God. The gospel doesn't discriminate. The gospel transcends gender and social class and marital status and economic status and culture and race. The gospel doesn't discriminate. It actually brings people together from all walks of life as they live together as God's new community. Such is the beauty of the gospel. 
Now, if you're in church at this point, I would say to you, look around. Look at the church gather. Look around at each other and see the wonder of the gospel. Only God would. Only God could. See the Roman church, verse 5. Greet the church that meets at your house. Uh, it's a church that meets at your house. These are house meetings. Um, he's not, when he says church, he's not talking about a building. If you think a church is a building, you're mistaken. It would be silly that a building would be uprooted on a crane and going to visit somebody's house. That's just crazy. The church is God's community of people. And so the local church here isn't defined, it's not confined rather, to 33 River Street in Varel, which is the address of this church. No, the local church crosses the fence. It spills over. It runs up Warrialda Road. It goes down Glenninus Road. It extends to homes beyond the race course. It gathers at people's farms. It meets at places called Kawinda and McLean. It turns up down the main street on occasions uh, at the high school even or our primary schools. It even leaves Inverell and goes to places like Central Australia, Uganda and Cambodia. Christ Church is active and it is alive every day of the week, the world over. It's God's people. And so question, are you plugged into that? Are you part of it? Are you participating in God's work amongst his local church? Are you sharing and fellowshipping with people that have been called to him through the powerful gospel? People of all types, all backgrounds. And if it's all people of all types and all backgrounds, you should be confident of a welcome because it takes all types. This is the first thing. Here's the second thing. Paul teaches uh, us that God's church is called to be a discerning church. So we're not all inclusive and uh, all that other language that the world likes to use. We are inclusive, but we are also discerning. Uh, maybe you notice as we looked at all the names, Paul breaks off on a tangent in verse 17 uh, to 20 and it's because as he reflects on the gathering of believers there's an enemy lurking maybe there are people he knows that are going to land in Rome I, I don't know uh, but Paul knows well the threat of false teachers of course he does as the church's greatest enemy he's seen them in other places so why wouldn't they land in Rome and of course he's saying this because if you want to destroy a church if you want to destroy a community of believers um, you don't need a gun or a bomb. It's way easier than that. All you need to do is attack the power that made the church strong in the first place. And what is the power? Well, Romans chapter 1 verse 16 tells us what that is. It's the power of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation for everyone who believes. When you vandalise the gospel or you permit it to be vandalised, the power that brings people together is less. You undermine it. You white-ant it. Verse 17, 
pervert the gospel and the church will divide. Divisions will be made and created. Some will say for Christians to be truly united, we need to relax our definition of the gospel so that more people can come in and let's loosen it up and let's soften things up. That is not what Paul says. We need to remember that the gospel is God's gospel. That he sets the terms. I don't set the terms and you don't set the terms. God does. And so the unity we see here in chapter 16 comes from the power of the gospel. And as soon as you compromise the gospel, the unity we have means nothing. It becomes like a spineless jellyfish. What are the false teachers like? Verse 18 tells us. They're not serving our Lord Jesus, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. I met a lot of people like that, sadly. And they're in the church. They don't look vicious. They don't look like wolves. But they are. Sometimes they can appear as harmless, gentle, older men. Uh, don't be fooled by that. Don't be fooled by clergy and their collars and their titles. Sounding smooth and sounding half intelligent and very flattering. But they're wolves among sheep. And yeah, I'm talking about the national church. Absolutely. Uh, most of what we've learned in Romans... Uh, these people will deny. Yeah, they hold office in the national church. Chapters 1 to 3, Romans tells us we're not right with God. Chapter 5 says, in Christ you can be. Woohoo! You can be forgiven and justified and set free from sin. No longer captive. Shake off the dust. Life in Christ is ours. Chapter 12 actually puts, um, shows you what it looks like. But the liberal progressive wolves, they'll tell you, don't worry about sin. Stop beating yourself up. Don't worry about forgiveness. The Bible, don't worry about that. It's not even authoritative. Jesus rising from the dead, nah, it didn't really happen. We're all smarter than that, apparently. No, no, heed the warning of Romans and Paul who urges you, brothers and sisters, watch out. Be discerning about those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. Maybe you know such people. Stay away from them. Paul warns the church. Of course, flattery and smooth talk isn't limited to the deceptive wolf-like clergy, uh, it could be a Bible study leader. It could be a lay preacher. It could be a scripture teacher. It takes all kinds, all types. Uh, and it's just a reminder that leadership uh, isn't just for anyone, church leadership. When we uh, carry the word of God, yeah, it's not a small task. Uh, it's not something to be merely presumed upon. We are encouraged to be discerning with the word, to test what we're taught and what we hear, and to be aware 
of dodgy theology. Christian bookshops. Very, very low bar. Sorry, it's true. Most of it's garbage. Absolutely. But Paul offers the Romans encouragement. Be discerning. Verse 19. Everyone has heard of your obedience. Verse 19. I'm full of joy for you. Verse 19. Be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Keep away from it. And when I say good and evil, good and evil, where does your imagination go to? You're thinking about the ultimate source of false teaching now? You're thinking about a garden somewhere? Where this threat of evil comes from and lurks and threatens God's new community? Verse 20, of course, I'm talking about the devil, Satan. And God's response, <laughs> the God of peace is also a destroyer, which is a clear allusion to Genesis chapter 3. Where Adam and Eve, they weren't discerning with the very words of God, were they? They succumbed to the threat of evil, the serpent. And uh, they trusted Satan's word instead of God's word. They decided he knew better or that they knew better. And God promised Satan, your head will be crushed. So Paul reminds his church, be discerning. We are engaged in a spiritual battle. Beware of the snake in the garden. Because today he continues to try and undermine the work of the gospel. And can I say, we just make it way too easy for him. We've got to keep reminding ourselves of the gospel. And we've got to practice gospel principles like peace and forgiveness. We've got to work hard for the gospel. End of verse 20. Um, so may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Now, where have we got to? The church is God's global community of people. That was the first thing we've seen. That the church is called to be discerning, faithful to God's word. That was the second thing. Here's the last thing. The church reveals God's glory. There is one key characteristic of all these people in the list. Did you notice it? Can you see it? Verse 3, Priscilla and Aquila are in Christ. Verse 5, there's a convert to Christ. Verse 7, in Christ. Verse 8, in the Lord. Verse 10, in Christ. Verse 11, in the Lord. Verse 12, in the Lord. In the Lord. Verse 13, chosen in the Lord. Verse 15, all of the Lord's people. Verse 2, receive Phoebe in the Lord. Verse 22, in the Lord. God's community are in Christ. We are in the Lord. We belong to him. We follow him. We serve him. We are in him. We are connected to him. We are God's new community. We are the church. And we reveal God's glory because God's community should reveal Christ. We are in him. Christ in you. His church makes Christ known. That's what we seek to do. And who initiated this work? Verse 25. Now to him who is able. It is God's work. All credit belongs to God. God invented it. He designed it. He initiated it. He delivered it. And here we see Christ at the centre of this global community. Verse 25. It's a mystery hidden in ages past. It's now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings. How? By the command of the eternal God. God is the author. 
so that all nations might believe and obey him. Here is God's program. Here is Romans. God's purposes is that all nations, his new community of believers, will believe and obey because they're discerning with the word. And because they're discerning with the word, they will worship the true Christ truly and properly forever. And that is to God's glory. Glory expressed through the Son, manifest in the church. Are you a part of that? Let me ask you again. Are you connected to, to Christ and his church? Because to say no to the church is to say no to Christ. Has that ever occurred to you? Come back. Be part of the family of God here in Inverell or wherever you are watching this from locally. Here is an encouragement to be plugged in and connected to and encouraged by your local faithful uh, body of Christ. It's also an encouragement for us to be sharing the gospel and revealing the riches of God's glory to those in our community and the world as a member of Christ's church. It means that we should be able to say Romans chapter 1 verse 16 with absolute confidence. We should be able to say that I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Salvation is at stake. Belief is at stake. And so let us not be ashamed of the gospel. Will you take out this good news out with you today and make Christ known this Christmas? Christmas is just about here. Will you go out and share this wonderful news of God's love for us in Christ? Will you do it? Amen.
as you, wherever you are, whomever you are with, uh, I encourage you to enter into a time of prayer. Uh, pray for our world, our leaders. Uh, there's a pandemic on at the moment. You might like to pray about that. Pray for our farmers uh, wrangling with the flood, those that are isolated because of floodwaters, places like Weewall. Uh, but farmers who missed out on a crop and are dealing with um, damage. You know, a drought strangles us slowly, but a flood can just wipe us out like that. So I would imagine there are a lot of farmers that would deeply appreciate our prayers. Pray for them, please. Uh, pray for... Uh, our Christmas services are coming up. It's not far away. Uh, 20 days. So uh, please, uh, if you're part of a local church family, I trust you are praying about um, the, the Christmas welcome and the Christmas invitation, that, that kind of gospel enterprise, uh, which can be life-changing for so many people as they hear the good news afresh for the first time. Lots of things to pray about. Of course, we continue to uphold the sick, the needy, those uh, in experiencing grief, loneliness, whatever the case might be. And we pray for the work of Global Mission. Uh, CMS is one of our mission partners, um, and we, we love and support uh, people serving in Cambodia as well, uh, as well as the work of BCA. Open Doors, Compassion. I commend all those missionary enterprises to you uh, as you pray. And pray for one another. Pray for the work of the local church. Pray for our gospel witness, as I mentioned already, particularly over the time of Christmas and the New Year. May God bless you. May he keep it you. May, you, may he make his face shine upon you. May he uh, show you his blessing and favour. And most of all, may the Lord grant you his peace. Amen.
is with 